<laughs> oh, good morning, you crazy people. Isn't it great to be crazy? Crazy in love with Jesus and a Father in heaven who loves us so much. You know, I'm going to finish up our, our time together. Desperate times requires desperate measures. You know, I just want to recap a couple of things from last week. There's a great truth that I shared with all of you that I learned from Jonah. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. It's, there is nowhere that he cannot reach you or me. I shared three, three principles with you. First one was, when you run from God, you end up running to the strangest of places. Your life, well, it'll eventually unravel. It'll self-destruct. And number three, you always end up hurting those that are the closest to you. You know, when a person runs from God, the only thing they're running from is the true source of wisdom, true source of love. So I'm going to start with a question today. Do you know the heart of God? Do you know the heart of God? You know, there was a new resident, and he was walking down the street, and he noticed a man was struggling with a washing machine. Okay, he's trying to, he was in the doorway of his house. Well, the newcomer just volunteered to help the guy with the, with the washing machine, so the two men began working on it. Well, after several minutes, they didn't make any headway at all. And they were just sitting there exhausted and sweating and frustrated. And then when they caught their breath, the first man said to the homeowner, gosh, we're never going to get this washing machine in there. To which the homeowner replied, in? I'm trying to get it out of the house. <laughs> That's what you call a communication breakdown. And the truth is this, friends. We only get things done when we're in agreement. Am I right? We all have to be on the same page. So as I prayed and I asked God, what is it? how do you want me to share this part of the Jonah story today? I was directed to the storm part of the story. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be looking at Jonah, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If not, it's, as you can see, it will be up on the screen. So fearing for the lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Remember last week I told you this is how they made their living was with this cargo, and now they've lost all their income. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him, and he just goes, how can you sleep? Can you imagine everything's rocking and the storms, everybody's fearing for their life and seasick. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us. Maybe he'll spare our lives. Look, there can be no doubt in this story that Jonah was the man that God had chosen for this particular time and hour at hand. He was the one that God anointed to go to Nineveh. He was the one commissioned for this purpose. He wasn't commissioned by the king. He was commissioned by God himself. He was the best one God said was suited for this mission. But instead of facing the challenge that God had given to him, just head on, he decided to choose an alternate route, which we certainly shared about yesterday, last week. And I have to tell you, I really strongly believe right now in our nation's history, I think we really must decide whether we're going to be witnesses of what's going on all around us. Are we going to be, or are we going to be channels of God's grace to an anxiety-ridden world? 
Friends, like Jonah, all of us are called to be more than just witnesses. We have an advantage. Sometimes I think we forget this. We have an advantage over the whole world. The hope of the world's been shared with you and with me. We have the healing salve. We got the antidote. And it's been revealed to us. It's Jesus Christ. Friends, the story of Jonah, like I shared with you a little bit last week, is not just about Jonah. We might think it is. And about, you know, we talked about the big fish. Or we, you know, you go look at the story and you think about Jonah's rebellion or about his Nineveh, you know, the, the, the repentance. The story of Jonah is not about any of those things. The story of Jonah is about the very heart of God and how we all display it. You know, after spending the three days inside the fish's stomach, remember, he gets puked out on the sand, okay? He didn't want to go to Nineveh, well, now he's there. Well, turn to Jonah 3. It said this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large, it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He's shouting, walking through the city, shouting this. The people of Nineveh, this is the amazing part of the story, actually believed, believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, as you can read, they declared a fast, put on the burlap to show their sorrow. They repented. Let me say it again. They repented. They turned the other way. They went away from the way of life that they were living. I think one of the hardest truths in the Bible is that most of us don't really want to hear just how bad we are apart from Christ. I don't think we want to hear it. That's why when we're out there and we're sharing the love of God and, and what God has called us to and the kind of life he wants us to lead, people don't want to look at it. You know, just get away from me. You know, I'm going to do life my way. This was Nineveh. And the, you know, I love what the Apostle Paul reflects, what I'm just saying to all of you in Ephesians 2. It's me and you, any of us who call us Christ followers. You were dead in your offenses and your sins in which you previously walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He goes, among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved. You see, we're kind of, kind of, we're, we're kind of like all in the same boat as this man I read about. He said his doctor called him and says, I've got some good news for you, and I got some bad news. You've had those calls, maybe some of you. So he asked, uh, which one would you like to hear first? Well, he goes, well, I guess, tell me the good news. Well, he goes, I just got the test results back from the lab, and you only have 24 hours to live. And he says, that's the good news? What could be worse than that? What's the bad news? Doctor says, I've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. <laughs> Look, I tell you that story because that's pretty much what our life was, out, what was like without Jesus Christ in it. 
You know, we may have still been walking around. Friends, like, well, I want you to catch this. We may have been still walking around, but for all practical purposes, we were dead before Jesus Christ. We were just plain dead. You know, a woman brought a very limp duck into a veterinarian surgeon, and she laid her pet on the table. The vet pulled out, he had a stethoscope, you know, and he listens to the bird's chest, and after a moment or two, you know, he kind of shakes his head sadly, and I'm sorry, your duck cuddles. It's passed away. Well, the woman just started crying. She goes, and he goes, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure the duck's dead. She goes, how can you be so sure? I mean, you haven't done any testing on him or anything. Maybe he's just in a coma, you know, or, or, or maybe it's something else. Well, the vet kind of rolled his eyes. He turned around and he left the room. He returned a few minutes later with a black Labrador retriever. And as the duck owner looked on in amazement, the duck stood on his hind legs, put the front paws on the examining table, and he snipped the duck head to the feet. Then he looked up at the vet, sad eyes shook his head. The vet patted the dog on the head and took him out of the room. A few minutes later, he turns with a cat. The cat jumps up on the table and he also sniffs the bird sits back on its haunches and shook its head and meowed softly, strolled out of the room. So the vet looked at the woman and said, I'm sorry, but it's, definite, it's a definite, 100%. Your duck is dead. The vet turned to his computer, hit a few keys, produced a bill, handed it to the woman. The duck's owner was, and she was still in shock, knowing for sure that her duck had died, but she gets the bill, it's $750. She goes, $750 to tell me that my duck is dead? He goes, well, if you would have took my advice when I first told you, it would have only been $25. But after the lab report and the CAT scan, now it's $750. (laughs) Listen, before God entered into our lives, we were really completely unable to respond to him in any way since we were spiritually dead. I was thinking, while I was preparing this this week, I thought about Lazarus, the account of Lazarus, and about him coming to life after being dead. And when we read the account, you know, we find Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was days late, he's already been in, in a tomb. Lazarus and Martha commented as Jesus was telling him, we'll roll away the stone, he goes, no, 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 no. She goes, he's been in there four days, even with all the spices, you know, it's, it's not gonna, it's not going to smell very good. But the one thing that I really got, and I think it's so apparent from this account, is that Lazarus, Lazarus didn't do anything in order to be resurrected. I want you to stop for a minute. He didn't do anything to be resurrected. He was completely dependent on what Jesus did for him. It's the same for each and every one of us. It's only what Jesus does for us. We're all spiritual Lazarus at one time or another, completely helpless to do anything about our condition. We're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sins. You know, our, our sin nature is like a worm that's inside an apple. Do you know how a worm gets inside an apple? Well, I didn't know this, so I'm going to share it with you. I just found out this week. This is how a worm gets in an apple. I just always assumed it ate its way in. 
I discovered this week that the worm actually comes from the inside of the apple. What happens is that an insect lays an egg in the apple blossom. Sometime later, after the apple has grown, the egg hatches in the middle of the apple, and the worm works its way out. You see, we're born with a sin nature that's inside of us, and it continues to make its way out continually. And just like this world and Satan, this sin nature, this issue with our flesh dominates our life until Jesus Christ enters into him. That's where the word we are reborn. The Holy Spirit begins this transformation process, trying to get all that out of us. This is also, I mean, if you think about it, it's one of the most exciting messages for those who are followers of Jesus, because it just shows how awesome God is and how much he loves each and every one of us. He's reached down into our lives, delivered us from death to life. He has freed us from the control of the world and of all of Satan and all of our sinful natures. He's done it for us. See, don't miss this. God delivered us from death to life, not because we deserved it, but because of his grace and mercy. We're gonna get back to the story here. I want you to understand this. Don't miss it again. Just don't miss this. God delivered us from death to life, not because any of you deserve it, not because I deserved it. It was only because of his grace and because of his mercy. God possesses, and if you never thought, that's what I want to know, do you really know the heart of God? He possesses a passion for all that don't know him. God has a passion for all people of the world, even the wicked ones, even the ones that reject him. And I'm telling you, that's what we find in the story here. God didn't destroy Nineveh. And why didn't he destroy them? Because they repented. We're going to jump right back into Jonah 4, 1 through 4. And look at, now here's, look at Jonah. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you were going to do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager, he says, to turn back from destroying people. Then Jonah just says, just kill me. Okay, Lord, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead than, I, than to have predicted what you're going to be doing here right now. And I love God's response. Is it right for you to be angry about this? You know, Anger can be so unreasonable. It's been said, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you will always regret. Anger always fails us. And this is certainly true for Nona. Jonah's reaction to the repentance of Nineveh is maybe different than what you might have thought, right? You, I mean, you think you'd be happy all these people repented and started following the Lord. We would expect Jonah to be leaping with joy. Woo-hoo, thank you, Lord, great job, oh man. But as far as he's concerned, and this is a message for all of us, he can't believe that they could be forgiven, not for everything they'd done. You see, this, peop this people mutilated bodies. They burned children. They offered heads as trophies. To him, this deserves God's fiercest judgment. His rationale, and maybe it's sometimes it's mine, and maybe it's like yours, simply goes like this. 
I knew it. This is why I ran away. I was afraid that you would repent. I was afraid that you would have mercy on them. They don't deserve it. Friends, the problem is that Jonah wants to put God in his own theological box. He wants to control God into his belief system. Because in Jonah 4, this is how the story ends. God just says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention, he goes, all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for a great city? Friends, the story is God's testimony for the whole human race, a description of people who can't tell their right hand from their left hand, people who don't know the difference between good and evil. Friends, the Ninevites were of little worth to Jonah, but they were of enormous worth to God. So the story of Jonah ends right there in the presence of God. We are face to face with his love and his compassion for people. The book ends with God asking a question. It has no written answer. I just read that to you, but an answer is expected from you and from me. I'm telling you, God's asking you and everyone that's listening on social media, should I not be concerned about the Coachella Valley? Should I not be concerned about your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your neighbors? Should I not be concerned? Jonah's lesson about God's compassion is a humbling lesson for all of us. For we may all assume God loves us more than our enemies. Don't tell me you never thought that. Yeah, I know God loves me more than them, right? Well, at least I'm not as bad. Come on, have you ever thought of that? Well, at least I'm not as bad. I mean, I'm sure God's got to be somewhat pleased with me. As soon as we fall into that type of thinking, you're starting to misunderstand the heart of God. We don't see others or ourselves in the way God does. Friends, I know this is no, no revelation to any of you, People are in trouble. Families are in trouble. Our neighborhoods, our workplace, your golf course, our community, our country, our world. There's so many lost people. People are in danger. And they're all around us. So here's my question. Is that, <laughs> is it your concern as it is God's? Let me ask you again. Is it any concern of yours? As, I mean, it is for God. Look, at, don't miss this. God wants us to value what he values. People, oh, wait a minute, it's going to get rough here in a minute. He wants us to understand his character. God wants us to understand his, to share his viewpoint. He wants us to reflect him. He wants us to love all people. That's the God we serve. So let's ask ourselves some personal questions. Here we go. Are there people we resist loving and caring for because of their values, because of their beliefs, or their lifestyle contradicts ours. Who are your personal Ninevites? Do they belong to some religious cult? Are they part of the culture that looks at sexual relations and all that in a different form and fashion than you do? Are they those who are part of the woke movement? 
Are they the people maybe that stand for pro-choice, pro-abortion? Who are they? Are they Democrats? Are they Republicans? Are they those who advocate a left-wing social agenda? Who are they? What if the Lord said to you, I want you to rise and I want you to go to any one of those groups? Think of the one that you, most frustrates you. And God says to you, I want you to go to them. Would it be difficult to obey? You know, we can really point fingers at Jonah and tell how stupid he was. Okay, but now let's point him the other way, towards us. I want you to go to them. I don't want you to condemn them. No, no, no. I want you to share the love of Christ with them. Would you be able to do it? Do we ever get so committed to what we think some people or groups deserve? I, I'm telling you, I've been guilty of this. That we take on their responsibility and thought or action and figure this is their punishment that they deserve. One more, don't miss this. It is God's will to move the believer towards the unbeliever. It's his will. He wants us to go to those that don't know anything about him. This is why I asked you today, will you be the light of Christ? Really, to a broken world, the disenfranchised, as many as God puts in your path and share with them this wonderful gospel of forgiveness, reconciliation, and grace. God's concern is people. And he uses you and he uses me to reach them. How did you get to know Christ? Somebody had to reach out to you. Do you, and I think this is an important one, and sometimes I just had to sit there and really think, do I, do I really share God's concern? You know, it's kind of real easy to say, you know what, I'm saved, right? I'm saved. That's their problem. I'm sure glad the other person didn't think that about me. Do you have a passion for people? Even if you find his calling difficult, perhaps even distasteful, realize that the people that you struggle with are no more and no less God's concern than you. You know, there once was a, a daughter who complained to her father that her life was just miserable. And she didn't know if she was ever, if she, if, if, if she was going to make it. She was really contemplating what she was going to do. I'm sorry, I got my sinus going. Uh, she was just tired of the struggle of life. We've all been there, right? Her father was a chef, so he took her to the kitchen. He filled three pots and placed them on separate burners. And when the pots began to boil, he placed a potato in one, egg in another, coffee beans in the other one. He let them boil without saying a word to his daughter. After 20 minutes, he turned them off the burners. He took the potato out of the pot and put it in a bowl. He takes the egg, puts it in a bowl. He ladles out the coffee, puts it in a cup. So the father turns to his daughter and he asks her, well, what do you see? <laughs> she goes, well, potatoes, eggs, and coffee. <laughs> Look closer, he said, and he touched the potato. She, she did and he noticed they were soft. She touched the potato, it's soft. Then he asked her to take an egg and break it. So she takes the egg, she peels off the shell, and, well, it's hard-boiled. Finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. Well, that, you know, that rich aroma, 
Even if you don't like coffee, a lot of people love the smell of it, right? Just the smell of it. And it brought a smile to her face. And she goes, Father, what does this mean? And then he explained that the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee beans had each faced the same adversity, boiling water. However, each one of them reacted differently. The potato went in strong and hard, but in boiling water, it became soft and weak. The egg was fragile, with the thin outer shell protecting a liquid interior until it was put in the boiling water. Then inside, it became hard. However, the coffee beans were unique. After they were exposed to the boiling water, they changed the water and created something new. Which are you? Asked the daughter. Which are you? He asked her daughter. Friends, when uncertainty comes knocking at your door, when God stretches you to reach out to those Ninevites with your time and your talent and your treasures, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be a potato? Are you going to be an egg? Are you going to be a coffee bean? So in close, can I encourage you, please be willing to reflect God's passion in this world that is so desperate. There are people lost and they have nowhere to go. They've rejected our creator and let me tell you, it breaks his heart. Share God's passion. Let God move you towards the unbeliever. And, as he, and when he does, he gives you those opportunities. Tell this wonderful story. God says, remember, God didn't come into the world to condemn it. Remember? He didn't come here to point. He came to save it. He came to save it. Desperate times require desperate measures. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. Because by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I, let us not forget the great privilege. It's a privilege that we all have to share this wonderful news of Jesus Christ. I know people are out there. I was out there. I didn't, I didn't think it was any great news when I first heard this. I, I was the person, I didn't know my right hand from my left hand. You know, you get absorbed in the world, you don't know anything any different. They don't know the right hand from their left hand. He called all of us to be part of the rescue team. Yeah, we're part of a rescue team. You see that helicopter flying in, you know, and grabbing people and saving them? He called us to be a part of that. You were rescued. You were rescued. <laughs> I was rescued. You were a Ninevite. You were a Ninevite. You were living in the dark passions of the world. You know, last week I shared with you that God will pursue you. And there's nowhere that he won't go to get you. Remember, I told you, he'll pursue you. And you know what he does after he gets you? He rescues you. Our closing song states this. I'll send out an army to find you. I'll send out an army to rescue you. And when you're listening about the army and the rescue, remember, you are the army 
that God sends. Thank you.